Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from WFIU, WTIU News. We're doing the show remotely today to avoid the risk of spreading infection from the coronavirus and COVID-19. I'm hosting with Sarah Whitmire, the WFIU, WTIU News Director. And this week, as we have for the last several weeks, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and today specifically how COVID-19 is affecting local economies, how communities are trying to protect themselves. We have four guests who are joining us from all over the community. We have Alex Crowley, the director of the Bloomington Economic and Sustainable Development Department, Aaron Predmore, the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce president and CEO, Andrew Butters, assistant professor of business economics and public policy, the IU Kelly School of Business, and Steve Volan, Bloomington City Council District 6, and he is the current council president. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there, and you can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, but we can't take your questions by, by phone today. So I wanted to open the, the show. There's been a lot of discussion this week. Um, our Congressman Trey Hollingsworth made some comments that got a lot of national publicity, national um, commentary about opening up the economy. So I'm going to start with Andrew Butters. Are, is Indiana ready to reopen the economy? What's it going to take? <laughs> uh, it's million, the million dollar question, right? Um, and so I uh, certainly, you know, sympathetic with, with all of the costs and trade-offs that we're, that we're facing in this, in this time. And I think that's really kind of the most important point here. So uh, we have you know, unemployment rates and initial uh, UI claims that are that are really unprecedented. They're record breaking, um, and in a lot of ways, these are going to create hardships and, and costs on on communities, businesses, um, individuals, and families that that we really haven't experienced um, historically in, in quite a long time. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is still very much a, a a shock, although it's now being transmitted through the economy that that fundamentally is, is, a, is a health and public health and, and biological shock. And so, you know, in my view, and again, I don't want to, uh, you know, these are very, very hard decisions to make, but in my view, there's still a very real sense to which we need uh, people to feel safe, people to feel like, uh, you know, re-entering the economy is not going to put their loved ones and family family at risk. And, and, and I really strongly believe that it's only going to be after that happens uh, to which even when non-essential businesses can can be opened and, and we can you know go back to restaurants and bars and, and other uh, establishments that it's only going to be feel only going to be when people feel safe that we're going to really truly see the rebound and the recovery that I think all of us are, are both expecting and, and, and hoping can can happen that sooner rather than later. I think what you said is is really important and I'm going to ask the other three to comment on it too uh, the you know, government, uh, people who are in governmental roles can say, you know, we, we think from the science or we think from, you know, our, our, just our, our research or whatever that, that it's time and you can reopen the economy, but it's going to take every individual business, every individual consumer, uh, shoppers who are feeling safe to want to go back and participate. So, you know, Aaron, what, what are you hearing from business leaders in Bloomington itself? I'm hearing, um, we, we've spent the last couple of weeks calling all of our members, and um, I think we had a few more that we were getting to this afternoon. So um, <laughs> we've done we've done a lot of talking to business leaders in the community lately, and I would say that we've gotten kind of three different responses. Some of them are doing surprising, like they've been surprised that they're doing okay during all of this. Um, they said that things really just dried up to nothing for that first week after um, we went on the kind of stay home orders. And a lot of that was out of, you know, a lot of fear and, and concern and everyone was uh, just kind of pulling back. 
But then after that, they said that things have opened back up again. Some of them were surprised that they'd returned to um, the same kind of levels that they were at before. Um, so that's a, that's a small group, but not insignificant. Um, the majority of people are somewhere in the middle. They've businesses coming back, but not as much as what um, they had before. So they're somewhere between kind of a 25 to 50% of what they had uh, before all of this happened. And then we had a, a significant number of members who just aren't having any business at all or, or just barely hanging on at this point. Um, and they're, they're concerned about the same things that Andrew just mentioned, you know, they're concerned about safety, they're concerned about their, their employees, uh, making sure that they can have open back up safely for the community. And, uh, and they're concerned for themselves. I mean, they just don't know what's coming next. So Alex Crowley is here from the city and Steve Volan from the city council. Uh, I'm going to ask both of you guys. I, I know that, that there've been some steps taken to try to help businesses uh, stay afloat. Can you talk about some of the efforts and how successful you're being? And Alex, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. So, um, I mean, I would echo a lot of what uh, Aaron and Andrew said. Um, what we're seeing on our side, so we have launched uh, Bloomington's Rapid Response Fund loan program. It was launched last Thursday. Anybody interested in finding out more about it should go to uh, bloomington.in.gov forward slash business. Um, basically, it's a, uh, and, and many thanks to Steve and the council, as well as the Bloomington Urban Enterprise Association, it's a two, about a two and a half million dollar fund that was stood up and um, we've been receiving applications um, to try to infuse short-term bridge loans into uh, the local economy, the city, um, using a combination of um, food and beverage monies and the Bloomington Urban Enterprise Association's um, um, funding. And you know what we're seeing in the in the application flow is exactly what Aaron was describing. Um, you know what what we found to be uh, the case is that some people just have, you know are really suffering uh, from a business perspective and and their employees as well. And and so you know that that um, that gap funding is a way to try to bridge into some of the federal monies as as it as it comes in. Some's already hit and some is coming. Um, and we're also, you know, seeing that people are either already starting to execute some revenue uh, generating activity, or um, are planning to do that, and, and and you know need some capital investment. So, for example, you know, a yoga studio who would uh, want to go remote um, and online may not have the tech technology to do that. So, you know, people are getting really creative and, and it's interesting to see that, but, but it's not to diminish the fact that there's been a pretty serious um, hit uh, to our local economy, of course. Steve, what can you add? Well, um, you know, I first of all want to say that uh, the uh, Continuity of City Government Task Force led by Fire Chief Jason Moore has been uh, phenomenally important uh, to make sure that the city itself kept functioning. We've all been trying to find our way here. You know, uh, being able to conduct meetings online was crucial to us being able to set up the uh, the bulk of money coming from the food and beverage tax. Um, you know, with, without us being able to meet to agree to uh, transfer that money, uh, you know, that's two million dollars that uh, couldn't be put into the short-term economy uh, right away. Um, but uh, it's changing the way we think about everything. I mean, uh, uh, the, for me, the, the biggest concern is, uh, is looming, at least for a city like Bloomington. The, the census was happening just as IU and every other college sent all their students home. Um, I'm afraid that uh, this you know, once in a decade thing is going to change uh, the numbers permanently for every college town in America. And that's just one small thing looming on the horizon, you know, even as we're all just trying to get our footing. Um, I don't know, it's uh, strange days that we're still wrapping our heads around. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. Uh, this week, we're talking with four different guests, four guests about the economy and COVID-19. Uh, you can join us through a live tweet uh, by tweeting at Noon Edition. You can also, um, Give us, uh, send us a note at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Uh, you can't give us a call though. We're not taking any calls today. So Steve, I wanted you to follow up a little bit. I mean, you also, you know, your district 
includes the university. So you have a lot of students that are in your district. You're talking about the impact if they're not here to fill out the census, but just, you know, what, what about the relationship that the city's having with the university and um, just, you know, Bloomington without the university is a much different place. And we've had, you know, a, a couple of months of being closed down or almost a, a, almost a couple of months of being closed down. And there's the prospect that it could go on for quite a bit longer. So mm -hmm. can you talk about sort of our long-term project or well, um, prospects? District six is by no means the only district with students in it. It's just the one that has the most students in it, but students literally make up half the population of the city. For 150 years before Lake Monroe was constructed, there was always the question of should Bloomington be the home of IU? Uh, and now we're seeing that uh, uh, once unthinkable possibility rearing its head. What if IU doesn't reopen in the fall? What if students don't come back right away? Um, I have heard rumors that other schools are basically planning to not reopen until January 2021. Um, just the, I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like here, but it would be uh, a shock to the system that we have never experienced in our city's history. So, um, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm out of a bit of a loss to imagine it, and yet we have to think about, well, what will happen if we do that? How will that affect housing and what's built? Uh, how will it affect uh, uh, all the processes that we go through? And mostly, how's it going to affect the economy? Um, I mean, I think Aaron is in a better position to talk about that, but uh, I, I think that uh, despite my misgivings about the virus, anything we can do to uh, resume some economic processes here is something that I and all my colleagues in City Hall are assiduously uh, you know, concerned about doing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could <laughs> no, talk I, about this for a while. Yeah, I appreciate the answer, Steve. It's a, certainly something that that's not that much fun to contemplate, but you've sort of passed the baton here to Aaron. So Aaron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Steve. You've passed me a depressing, <laughs> depressing question. Um, Happy to be of service. Yeah. So, I mean, Steve's right. Our, our economy is, is IU and our economy are wrapped around each other. Um, and so both benefit, it's a symbiotic relationship and both um, truly do benefit from the other. So if, if one is down or out for the count, then the other's really going to suffer. I think Steve's right. We just don't know yet what, what impact that will be. I mean, I think it will, will be great, but I also have to say, I'm going to turn this around in a little bit of a hopeful way. I mean, look at how much our businesses have already pivoted. I mean, the ones who are out there figuring out what to do and, and how to um, try to, you know, exist and, and try to find a, to a, get to a thriving place in this, what this new economy is going to look like. We're seeing that all over town as well. Um, and, and the community is responding too. So people are open to maybe not eating at their favorite restaurant, but doing takeout at their favorite restaurant or, um, you know, going and doing, you know, Zoom calls with with clients and, you know, people have this kind of Zoom exhaustion at the end of the day. And it's, you know, there's obviously lots of articles you can read about that, about people, this new life that we're leading online. Um, but people are really responding to that and trying to grab hold of of what what can be done in this new this new environment. With Alex, that hope. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. You can finish. I was thought. just going to say with that, with that hope, I think there is, there's true anxiety about what would happen, what this is really going to look like. And, and we just don't know yet, but I, I do, I do remain hopeful that we have opportunities uh, to, to continue to pivot and figure it out. Yeah. I was going to ask Alex to join in the conversation because of, you know, being the director of Bloomington Economic and Sustainable Development, um, our, Economic, our economic and sustainable development is much different when you take the the student market out of the out of the equation. So, how do you you know how do you, how do you plan to go forward? Yeah, so I mean, there's the immediate, there's the mid range, and then there's the long range. So I'll break down each one. So in the immediate, you know what what the uh, the city and the community can do is really help businesses pivot into that new world. Um, Aaron was referring to. So, you know, a couple of interesting examples um, are, you know, uh, 
there's a, a website now open for bloomington.com. So that's a website that, that was uh, actually built by 39 Degrees North um, in, in, in collaboration with Mill. And, it, and it's a, it, if you go to it, it's a map of Bloomington with all the businesses and their status during the COVID uh, crisis and who's doing takeout and all of that. So there are resources like that that are available for those companies to make that pivot. Um, there's also the online farmer's market, which was stood up at, at breakneck speed by the um, a collaboration between various departments at City Hall, and that's been thriving. And, 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 and you know, that's a way to help, uh, you know, the, the growers and, and the food artisans to pivot. So, you know, there, there, there are ways to do that in the short term to try to stimulate some, some commerce under really difficult times. But we also, um, as, a, as a working group, which in, involves Aaron and a number of other community leaders, we are, we're looking out both into the mid-range and the long-range. And the mid-range is really sort of, you know, maybe the second half of this year, and the long-range is, you know, 12 plus months. In the mid-range, you know, we have to figure out, you know, are there opportunities to um, uh, reopen slowly and, and carefully? And if so, what can, what can be done to plan ahead for that? An example, you know, that we all have to be aware of is a lot of the canceled events that would typically have happened in the first half may get bumped to the second half, and that creates a whole bunch of contention and scheduling and all of that. And what does that do? Um, what events are possible, and how do you stack those um, for and, and events for fundraising and revenue generation? Um, and then in the long range, um, you know, it is again, um, it's it's an absolute crisis right now, but it does. Um, Create opportunities, and those opportunities are for a city like Bloomington to get, you know, to really think through and tap um, a lot of resources that are out there to emerge from this um, stronger than we were when we went in. Um, and you know, it's a great city, um, but it could be an even greater one. And so, looking at um, what that looks like and how do we plan for that, and how do we tap those resources? So that we can emerge um, in the long range, um, you know, again as strong as we possibly can. Sarah, Andrew, could you talk a little bit about what you've noticed about um, consumer habits amidst the COVID nineteen pandemic? Sure, sure, yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, yeah, no, I, I actually have been thinking uh, quite a bit about this and just uh, thinking about what might. Um, past experiences and, and, you know, and research that that's out there, you know, how that could inform how we think about things going forward. And I think it actually echoes a few of actually some of the themes that have um, come up already. And, and so, you know, we've seen <laughs> unprecedented shifts in how, in how individuals are consuming. I mean, we've already talked about all the, um, you know, the shift to the online, we've, you know, seen huge, you know, run up in, in expenditures in sort of grocery retail that's, I think almost a one-for-one -one substitution away from kind of what would have been um, uh, off-premise off-premise consumption. We've even seen the shifts in sort of how people are consuming their 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 own media content. So, like we've seen more streaming services off of mobile onto sort of your computer. We're now working more and more on our laptops, and so we've seen again these really really fundamental shifts in just all sorts of aspects of our of our daily lives. And, and I think what's interesting about that. Is that there's actually you know kind of a really really um, entrenched literature that suggested that a lot of our daily consumption patterns and a lot of our our expenditures are really habit based um, and that it really takes kind of a an abrupt lifestyle change in order for us to sort of deviate much from kind of what our preferred brand is or what our preferred kind of shopping tendency or where we get takeout or where we even dine and stuff and so what's sort of unprecedented about what we're experiencing right now is like unlike in the past where usually the experiences were like when you get married or when you move or when you change jobs or when something like that, that would have our preferences be malleable. Now we're all being forced to experiment in ways that might actually induce us to like find new products or new ways of conducting business or new ways of uh, thinking about how to get things done that might actually end up being, you know, perhaps, you know, the optimistic view would be perhaps much better and might, and like just one, case study of this that I thought was like particularly interesting was uh, a research out of Oxford came up, uh, used um, the London strike, the London tube worker strike as an, ins as an instance of when people had to radically shift their commuting patterns using the tube. And, and what was really, really interesting about the results they found, and this came out in a nice economics journal, was that uh, 
people and some people ended up not switching back to their preferred route before the strike. And so what they were able to sort of document was that basically for some of those individuals, this forced experimentation actually led to low, lower travel times for themselves. And so again, I just, you know, that that's, you know, a somewhat optimistic spin. Uh, and again, I think hopefully what that provides is just an example of while there were lots of like very predictable changes in the consumption habits that we're now seeing play out in the economy, uh, I think going forward and looking forward, it's going to be very important to think about which of these shocks or which of these changes in, in consumption are going to be perhaps more permanent and perhaps um, lead to, you know, more sort of structural changes in how people behave and how people, uh, you know, conduct uh, their work and, and other social activities uh, in their lives. And so, uh, again, just some, some thoughts regarding kind of what you could might expect uh, going forward. Yeah, if I could follow up on that, um, and this may not be, you know, in your area of expertise, I'm not sure, but um, what about the relationship between um, individuals and, and their government? I mean, th this has been a, you know, people are looking to government for certain things yep. and governments having to make some adjustments to the way that it, it operates. Uh, certainly, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to uh, go too far here because this is this is a little bit a little bit outside of uh, kind of my own uh, research field, but but I, again certainly the the evidence that I've come across and and certainly the patterns that that we're seeing indicate that there has been uh, a a higher level or a heightened level of of engagement just just in terms of again as I mentioned you know the the forms of media that. Um, people are, are consuming and sort of how they're getting their information these days. And so what you've seen, and again, some of this evidence is very preliminary because the uh, data that's being reported is still uh, kind of at the firm level. And we would like to have broader and more representative statistics on this, but we've seen you know a really, really high surge in uh, engagement and following of local community media outlets and, and sources, as well as sort of uh, websites and, and, and information um, sources say like the CDC has seen you know a huge surge in sort of its 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 foot, uh, web traffic and and kind of its interest level whereas uh, the you know other forms of, of information and media that that had been uh, before um, a more dominant player have, have seen some substitution again to these to these other to these other outlets and so again that's a very anecdotal piece I, I, I realize but again what that would seem to suggest and again we're still very early in, on you know what might be permanent versus transient uh, shifts in, in how people behave and engage in, in these different aspects of our lives, but, but but those would all be indications that um, you know people's involvement and people's engagement with with local communities has has certainly uh, increased and, and could could uh, transcend going forward. Aaron, you want to uh, add to that? Yeah, um, just as you asked that question to Andrew, I was thinking about um, specifically like Governor Holcomb's doing a daily briefing, 2.30 2 every day. And the number of people that I know that are actually, that are watching that, that would not normally take time in the middle of their day to, you know, pause to hear something the governor's gonna say, um, are engaged in watching those daily, um, getting updates directly from government officials. And um, the other thing I, that occurred to me is the, the opportunity to vote by absentee ballot. And so I'm gonna take just a second to remind it individuals that this is the time to, to go online and, and uh, you can download a form and fill it out, send it in, and then be ready to go. So it's a, you don't have to have a reason to need an absence, absentee ballot this year. Um, so those doors are opening. The government is looking at new ways. And we talked about pivoting earlier for our businesses. I think that our government officials are looking for new ways to engage with citizens uh, during the crisis and find the best way to, to still achieve those goals. So I don't think I ever would have thought that Indiana would have loosened their restrictions around absentee ballots, uh, but the pandemic has done it. So now they're allowing that to happen and everybody in the state could, could have an opportunity to vote by absentee. Um, so just a reminder to, if you need a link for that, um, We've, uh, the community set up a, a website, MonroeCountyCOVID-19.org, and on there, uh, lots of different resources, but one of those is a link for that downloadable absentee ballot application. All right. I think Andrew Crowley is uh, wanting to join, too. Yeah. Alex. 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 Yep. Yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Uh, I just wanted to add um, that, you know, it, it, it does, uh, I heard someone say, you know, it, it certainly sort of highlights the role government plays in all of our lives. And you know, I just wanted to 
recognize publicly here, um, you know, the, the city of Bloomington employees who are out doing their jobs every day, challenging situations, whether they're first responders, um, sanitation workers, you know, uh, workers uh, keeping our water clean. You have a lot of people who are out there. Um, the mayor has been um, really, really terrific in, in, you know, making that possible by doing things like setting up uh, hotel rooms um, so that employees who um, can't go back to their families for fear of, you know, um, you know, spreading anything, you know, are able to to um, to be out. So there are a lot of city employees out there, and I just think it it merits recognizing them. Um, the fact our garbage is being picked up. I mean, you can just imagine if there's a breakdown in those kinds of services, um, how much worth worse all of this gets. So I just want to make that uh, that uh, recognition. Sure. I want to yeah. second everything Alex just said. Yeah, yep. thank you. Absolutely. That was Steve Volan. So uh, let me remind you that you're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. We have uh, four guests who have joined us today. It's uh, myself, Bob Salzberg, and Sarah Whitmire are hosting. Uh, we're all doing this remotely, so we're in six different locations for doing this show. Uh, that was uh, Steve Volan, member of the Bloomington City Council who was chiming in on what Alex Crowley said. And Alex is director of the Bloomington Economic and Sustainable Development Department. We also have Aaron Predmore, the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce president and CEO, and Andrew Butters, who's assistant professor of business economics and public policy at the IU Kelly School of Business. If you want to ask us a question, please do. You can do that on Twitter today at Noon Edition. You can also send us, email us a question news at indianapublicmedia.org. We can't take your calls because we are spread all over Monroe County today. So we talked about, um, you know, we've talked a lot about businesses being reopened and, and I want to, you know, I guess go a little bit deeper than that and talk about, you know, businesses um, need to be able to survive a lot. Uh, a lot of the reason is because of their employees. So can, can one of you talk a little bit about, you know, just the the, the uh, job force in Bloomington, the workforce, and how it's doing? Um, you know, what about unemployment rates and about uh, you know applying for applying for unemployment benefits during this, uh, you know, this shutdown? Aaron, do you have any insight into that? Um, yeah. So. I would say that um, what we're hearing anecdotally from our members are some of them have um, laid off their staff so that their staff would be able to go ahead and file for unemployment benefits um, and, the, and the laying off their staff, you know, it was an economic decision based on lack of customers or income and things like that. But they also realized that they're, um, with the CARES Act um, having been passed and the opportunity for them to have extended unemployment and also a little bit additional funds coming through there, that that would be a good opportunity for their staff to do that. Um, the payroll protection program has also come into play. Uh, so those uh, applications have gone through. Uh, we did hear yesterday, as everyone did in the nation, that the, the PPP program is now uh, tapped out. So we've everybody in the country applied so quickly that the money has been all claimed and hopefully uh, we'll have some uh, more legislation that will can uh, you know add more money into that program because that clearly was needed uh, very very quickly but those opportunities businesses that have applied for those will get those funds uh, within 10 days of the notification that they were approved and then they'll be able to use those funds for um, payroll and, and those types of expenses as well. So what we're hearing anecdotally is we have lots of businesses that did lay um, a lot of their staff off or and some of them furloughed staff, so just maybe reduced hours or, or salaries or things like that in order to, to be able to keep the doors open a little bit longer. Um, and now you're hearing with the PPP program that some of them are trying to figure out how to bring those employees back on because in order to have that um, payroll protection program, that loan forgiven, you do have to have a certain level of payroll expenses. Um, they do snapshots of, of different expense periods. So anyway, once they do that, so it, it's encouraging those businesses to bring those employees back on so that you know they'll be ready to open their doors up when we are ready to go. So it's, I think, going to be a win-win for those businesses that were able to, to get those funds. Steve Volan, I want to ask you um, something, you know, sort of related to that. I mean, as a member of the city council, two two areas I really want to talk about. One is, 
you know, the city's budget, because that's one of the things the council does is goes in and decides, you know, how we're going to spend our money. And so, you know, question one will be how, you know, how are you looking at the budget? How, how are you making midstream corrections to the budget or are you? Uh, I was waiting for the second thing. Um, we I'll ask that in a minute. Are, in a minute yeah. <laughs> okay. The, um, our budget process has traditionally started in uh, late April, early May with what we call budget advance that's scheduled to, in about uh, two weeks where uh, council members get together with mayor and controller and they uh, give us a fiscal picture uh, of the city. And uh, then we talk about as members uh, what our priorities are for the coming budget year. Uh, the only precedent I have for this is 2010, which was after the recession where we had um, you know, expectations of uh, budget freezes of, uh, of no growth. Um, this is gonna be a year like that one. Um, we have to rethink everything we take for granted about the budget. Bloomington's been very fiscally sound for a long time. Uh, we've always run uh, a rainy day fund that has been uh, higher than what the State Board of Accounts wants us to run, trying to uh, find ways to reduce it. Uh, well, we found a way <laughs> this year. And uh, so it's going to be uh, rethinking everything we take for granted about how um, uh, the city budget should work. Uh, we haven't even gotten that far yet, honestly. It's taken us a while just to figure out how to conduct meetings under the governor's executive orders. Uh, we've, we've gotten there, and that's a, what allowed us to, um, to uh, appropriate the money from the food and beverage tax funds to help with the um, local uh, business crisis. But um, that process begins. I think that council is probably going to take a, a more active role in thinking about uh, the formation of the budget uh, because we have to, like we don't have a choice. We all have to rethink everything uh, about how we do business. So the, the second part of the question and everybody else can jump in on this too or people that have a, a thought as you can on any of my questions. But um, as a member of the council, you know, you, you have to look out for a lot of different um, areas of, of importance to the community. One, you know, is the business community. How, how, how's the economy going? Two is the citizens of Bloomington. And as a part of that, the most vulnerable citizens of Bloomington. What, what is the council doing to make sure that, you know, people who need the most help are, are getting the most help? Um, the council is certainly uh, concerned about the most vulnerable. Uh, the, uh, there's not a lot that uh, has been in our power to do in the very short term. Um, like I said, it was all we could do to meet. Um, the uh, administration has, I think, uh, uh, gone some way to uh, addressing the needs of the most vulnerable. Um, I know that um, uh, we're, uh, as a city, reappropriating uh, hotel rooms uh, uh, to provide people shelter uh, as, an, as an emergency. Um, but this too is like the budget, like we haven't even had a chance to really think about long-term policy yet. How are we going to react to it all? But we, we have to. Alex Crowley, you want to uh, join the, this conversation? Sure, I can add a little bit. So yeah. um, uh, I'll, I'll point out two things. One is when the mayor uh, uh, announced uh, the, the two working groups, the, the one that I participate with Aaron on and, um, and we're focused on economic uh, stabilization and recovery, there's a parallel working group uh, that is focused um, on social services and the needs of the community. So uh, those two were stood up uh, by the mayor um, to look at those two aspects of society. And, and the second one, the social service focused one is doing a tremendous amount of work to look at uh, those people who are most vulnerable and stand up uh, solutions in the near term for them to get them through this crisis. Um, and then also to, um, to really be looking longer term on, on what's needed. I would also wanna add uh, and, and tie back to something that uh, Andrew said uh, when we when he was talking about employees um, and uh, you know one thing that comes into pretty stark relief right now is is you know 
take a look around and, and, and figure out, take a look and see who's being considered an essential employee right now. And those are the, you know, in a lot of cases, um, grocery clerks um, and, and a lot of, you know, people, people who are cleaning offices, I mean, they are on the front lines. And so, you know, it is a, it is a, it is a group that can be overlooked. It's a group that can be taken for granted, but in a situation like this, boy, are they important. And, you know, I think that that, that is, is, is a great wake up call for us all as we think about the future and think about, you know, who are those people out there who, you know, we're not uh, necessarily, may not be advocating for themselves in the same way as, as other people are, other employees are, but, but boy, are they important and what do we do about it, um, you know, a, as we come out of this crisis. I will throw in that. Oh, I, I uh, uh, assigned uh, two of the new city council committees to uh, uh, respond uh, to the appropriate working groups. Councilmember Sue Scambaluri leads is the chair of the Sustainable Development Committee, and they're the ones interfacing with Alex Crowley's department. Um, and uh, Councilmember Matt Flaherty leads the uh, uh, Resilience Climate Action Resilience Committee, and is working with uh, Beverly Calendar Anderson and company on the social services working group. Uh, and we are listening intently to try to figure out what new policy needs to be promulgated by the council to respond appropriately. We've gotten a couple questions about unemployment specifically in Monroe County and employees who've been furloughed. Erin, do you have any sort of data on that here in Monroe County? I don't. Um... That's an excellent question. If you want to come back to me in just a minute, I'll see what I can find out through my uh, tech. I can text a couple of my staff members who were followed up on some things like that and see if I can't tell you in just a minute. All right. So if you have a question, you can certainly send it to us. Um, uh, news at indianapublicmedia.org is our email address. And that's the best way to reach us today. Sarah's field, fielding a lot of the questions and asking them. So um, that's, you know, that's how we're gonna have to do it today is we're, we're, we're all dealing with this uh, new reality. So Andrew, Andrew Butters, you know, you've got a probably a little uh, broader view. I mean, I know all of all of our guests today, take a broad view as well as what their their local responsibility is, but taking a broader view and looking maybe at the state of Indiana, you know, how, how is the can you can you talk a little bit about the state and Governor Holcomb's des desire to work with six other states in order to try to um, reopen the state along as part of a region as opposed to just a standalone? Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, no, I saw that I saw that announcement this morning as well, and and um, you know, to do, to be just you know honest in my own personal view, I was I was really welcomed and, and really felt very good about. Uh, just the sense that, you know, as we open up this economy and, and again, just because of the nature of the shock and that it's, that it's really a, a public health and, and fundamentally, you know, biological shock that, you know, as the economy gets reopened, um, it's, it's very much going to be just given the way the economy functions, one that's going to be interdependent across communities within states, across communities. Um, across states as well as you know the country and, and we're, we're obviously participating in a, in a major player in an in, uh, international economy and so you know making sure and, and because of the nature of the shock being so tied to you know contagion and, and, and the public health dimension that's wrapped into this um, you know I think it's crucial and, and very very important and also very welcoming that that again the governors uh, of the Midwest region are clearly um, communicating and and in close contact with each other in terms of what makes the most sense and you know and again the statement that they released was was very comforting in the sense that you know it's going to be uh you know weighing all the options and and again going to be very data driven and and you know based off of you know current and the most timely research and so um just the inherent connection that that you know, this state has with, with its neighbors in terms of, you know, the types of products that Indiana is known to produce, you know, go, go across state lines and, and the, you know, 
communities in other states are also um, you know vital to the products that 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 we purchase and we consume. And so uh, I think it's a really great sign that um, as again the economy gets reopened, that that it's done in concert and with with an eye to to the region and and, and hopefully again the the larger country as a whole. Aaron, we got a couple more questions here that I'll sort of paraphrase, but it's talking about IU and Cook, um, talking about IU reducing its budget by 5%, canceling mm -hmm. salary increases, extending a hiring freeze, delaying some construction, and then also the cuts at Cook, and just saying the impact that that might have on the economy here, since those are some of the better paying places in Bloomington. Yeah, I think um, we have, we've been considering that as well as we talk to, um, I mean, those kind of are bellwethers, I think, for the overall community when those two large entities um, feel the need to go ahead and, and make those cuts at this point and start looking at, I mean, to be, to be honest, they're looking at how do they stay well positioned to navigate this complete unknown that's coming. And I think that's, that's a lot of it for us. Um, we talked already about, you know, mentioned impact on government, um, I think impact on, on education, uh, the IU, like whether or not tuition is gonna be, be there, are people gonna be there? I know Steve tossed me that hot potato earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, just a real, that's just a real issue uh, for, for IU and they're wise to look at it that way and to start thinking about down the road what they're gonna do. When we think about the overall local economy and the impact that Cook and IU together have, I think that the, the the comment or the question as it came in is is definitely valid that looking at those as an imp as a bellwether for what may be coming and what we what we have to expect is is a smart way to be looking at it um, and those will be whether or not that ends up being an overreaction um, and in fact then things come back online and everyone's able to to adjust back to where they were or if it becomes a really smart st strategy to be able to be nimble enough to, to manage what's coming, we will know in the coming months. And I think, I think that's an important part of this when we think about the economy and the business climate in general, just both in our microcosm here in Bloomington and Monroe County, and then just more broadly. So much of this is anxiety-based. We just don't know what's coming. And we don't quite have, you know, we certainly don't have one approach to manage all these sort of things. Each community is different. But we also don't have one approach to manage our response to the coronavirus, COVID-19. That is adding to a great deal of this unknown and people's people's concern about, do I need to pull back now in my business to make sure that we can survive? Or is there a clear path forward that I know I just need to hold on for six weeks and then we're going to do X or then we're going to, you know, then this other thing's going to happen. So that's a big part of it right now. Um, if I can, I will say if I can jump in about the unemployment as well. Um, so the information we have, so they don't have data right now. Uh, it just goes through February, which by the way, in February it was 3.3%. So we were doing quite well uh, <laughs> locally in Monroe County. Um, but the week ending April 3rd, we had over 1,400 uh, claims. And the previous week we had uh, 1,627 claims for unemployment. Um, so the, the highest filings that we've had in comparison to that was in the 2008-2009 downturn. Um, the any one week during that period of time, the highest was 421. So we have four times as many people filing for unemployment during this period of time than we did during the worst week during the 2008-2009 downturn. So that's a hot potato. I can toss that, that is, to yeah. whomever wants to catch <laughs> well, that I, one. Yeah, well, I can get Steve back. Gonna, Steve, what do you think? I was going to say something. You know, uh, nine years ago, I uh, had occasion to call an official in the city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They had just suffered an F5 tornado. And uh, I had some questions about how they had managed. But the, the key take home from it was that even, I mean, uh, even a natural disaster that destroyed half the town didn't destroy the town. And they found ways, uh, both public and private, to um, recover from it. Um, and uh, I, that, to me, has been uh, my biggest source of strength in thinking about what is to come, uh, that um, it does absolutely depend on the relationships that 
uh, public and private sector uh, members have with each other, uh, our willingness to work together, um, we can bounce back from this. I mean, the country and the world survived the depression as well. Um, it just, it, it causes us to focus more locally that we have to start thinking among ourselves, people we can get to in a day's drive or less, how can we uh, deal with this? And I am uh, so encouraged by the people on this call and the people I've been having to interact with who I haven't talked to in a while as a result of the crisis, that everyone is responding uh, with that attitude, which is we can fix this, we can, we can do it. We absolutely need help from beyond our boundaries, but it starts with, uh, you know, speaking with uh, the rest of us close to home uh, and saying, what can we do to get through today and next week? And, uh, you know, pretty soon we can start thinking about next month and next year. So I don't mean to be uh, Pollyanna-ish about it. Uh, it's certainly, um, you know, daunting moment. Um, I've th often thought, uh, I mean, you, I used to think about Tuscaloosa because we're not far from the New Madrid fault line. And I was in Eigenman in back in 1987 when we had a 5.0 earthquake that shook the building. Uh, and I've always thought, well, what would happen to the community if that happens? And the earthquake has come in a different way. Um, uh, it's just a, it's a different kind of natural disaster. And now we're being tested, but so far I'm encouraged that uh, we're somehow gonna weather the storm. Alex? Yeah, so I mean, I would I would kind of tie together what Steve was just saying, and also um, you know the, to the previous point about some of the major employers. Um, you know, look, one of the reasons Bloomington is what it is is um, is because uh, Cook Medical and Bill Cook. I mean, they they really kind of invested into the downtown at a time that Bloomington was was struggling, and so you know, uh, an IU has done the same thing. I mean, obviously, you know, we. Bloomington is Bloomington because of all of the cultural and other, you know, intellectual powerhouse that's coming off campus. So, you know, my, as I look at this and maybe to be a little bit, um, you know, uh, uh, more pessimistic <laughs> is, you know, if you have anchor institutions, major dominant anchor institutions in town um, that are, um, you know, just, just uh, trying to figure it out um, you know, we, we as a community need to support them and each other because those were the ones that really helped Bloomington uh, historically when it needed help. So, you know, I, it's not to say that either of those are faltering, but just, just um, to the point of how intertwined all of us are, um, and it's happening, as, as uh, Steve says, on a day-to-day -day cooperation basis right now, but, but really long-term as well is, you know, it, it really, you recognize just how important the anchor institutions, big and small um, in town are to the success of the city and, um, and how mutually dependent we are with each other and, and how important therefore it is for everybody to be paying attention to everybody here because, because um, you know, uh, we will need all of that cooperation moving forward. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, I was just gonna add too. I I'm actually comforted by the fact that Cook and IU have adjusted as they have, and, and it's because they're being strategic and they're looking forward to how do they, they're looking down the line, right? They're not just saying, what do I do? And, and you know, we're not running around like chickens with our head cut off. We're going, oh, wait, something bad's happened. We're going to adjust our approach and be proactive and make sure that we're still here 100 years from now. Um, and that to me indicates investment and it indicates that they're led uh, by smart people who are in, intentionally trying to figure out how they can be, um, continue to grow and continue to invest in our community, which is what we're gonna need to get out on the other side. Um, there's a funny, I will give some some funny, at least tell you about a funny picture that Jeff Meese put on uh, Facebook. So uh, Jeff is uh, one of the co-owners for One World and it says, uh, it's a picture from Bedford, uh, Indiana, and it says, it's a, just a sign outside a, a shop that says this too shall pass probably like a kidney stone. <laughs> um, and I think that's great. Uh, it's be painful. Yeah. It's going to be painful, but it's going to pass. And I do think that y'all are right. It's about that engagement with each other and, and making sure that we're looking out for each other. Those, you know, those adjustments that cook impact people uh, and they're, 
their own personal, you know, bank accounts and how that's going to impact them. And that there will be, you know, impacts throughout the community when those types of things happen, because it's not just Cook and not just IU, right? There's a lot of adjustments that are going to have to happen around the community. I think as long as we keep looking out for each other and trying to make sure we all get, get across the finish line, um, we can do it together. It just... So we'll be painful. Yeah, we only have about uh, 60 seconds or so to go. And I, I want to ask, I guess I want Aaron to follow up on that just a little bit. You know, Bloomington has sort of prided itself on in a couple of ways. One, it's an arts community. What's this doing to the arts, the the people who get make their, their um, living in the arts? And then secondly, as you know, with the mill and trying to have these new startups, what's this doing to the startup community? And Steve, you're really involved in that too. I know you and Alex. Yeah, I'll just briefly say I know the arts community is hurting very much right now. So they've had to pull back. I know Cardinal had to, you know, cancel the rest of their season, and they're um, looking for, you know, ways to to plan moving down the down the road and seasons to come. But went ahead and and said they couldn't do any more this year. That's just again a microcosm of all the arts community. There are a lot of people out there that can't do performances and can't have shows. Um, so we need to look for opportunities to bring them along. If we want them there at the finish line with them, we've got to reach back and pull them along. We've got to say we're not, you know, tie a knot in our rope right here and say we're not going to slide back from here. Let's keep moving forward. And we need to do that for all of our neighbors. And, and it's nonprofits are that way, arts communities that way, startups at the mill. I mean, they're going to be impacted too. Some of them are are more used to that pivot. They're more used to that. They haven't. Um, um, you know, cemented who they are yet. And so they may end up changing some of the things that they're doing just because they're responding to this current crisis uh, with entrepreneurial spirit. Okay. Thir we have 30 seconds. Steve, can you, can you take this in 30 seconds? Uh, no, but I'll do <laughs> what I can. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that we need to treat the arts community uh, no differently than the business community, that they are all small business people as well. And we have to find ways to create rules. I mean, there is, uh, you know, still money in the food and beverage tax fund that we could use to provide uh, relief to artists. If we are the community that we pride ourselves on being artistically, uh, now is the time for us as a government and as a community to step up and to find a way to provide uh, economic relief to the arts sector. And okay, time, gonna, it's as important as ever. We're going to have to leave it at that. But I want to thank Steve Volan from the Bloomington City Council, as well as Andrew Butters from the IU Kelly School of Business, Aaron Predmore from the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, and Alex Crowley from the City of Bloomington's Economic and Sustainable Development Department. For Sarah Whitmire, my co-host, producers Benta Boutier, and John Bailey, Matt Stonecipher, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. This has been Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. <laughs>